other awesome and powerful, majestic ways. And so you're probably wondering, where the heck is Bethany? She's going to be coming next week. Um, our schedules are just misfiring, so I'm just taking a lot of the weight here. But I love this series. This is right up my alley. And I'm deeply encouraged about what we're going to present here this morning. Is everybody okay? Listen, we're in church. It's okay to smile. Uh, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to let loose. Don't worry. Nobody's looking at you. Uh, nobody's, you know, it, it, you can smile. You can put your happy face on. Show your teeth. Even if you've got crooked teeth, it doesn't matter. I mean, you see my grill, it's a mess, bro. You know, I, my parents just didn't give me uh, braces, but uh, whatever. Just, it's okay. It's okay. We're not at a funeral. We're, we're celebrating uh, the victory of Jesus here today. Um, and so that is something to be very joyful about, okay? Um, why don't we do this briefly so I can just get my head, put my pastor hat on uh, from worship leader hat and announcement guy hat. Why don't we take just uh, like two minutes, maybe shake somebody's hand, welcome them to Hilltop Church. I promise I won't keep you a stitch um, uh, beyond 1145, okay? So we can still do this. Uh, why don't you just introduce yourself maybe to somebody you don't know, okay? Welcome them. Uh, maybe ask them on a date if they, you think they're good looking, you know, if they're single. That's Just dive in. Yeah. So I said I'd let you go at 11.45, so we have to make this time brief. <laughs> Look at everybody quiet. Like, I want to get out of here at 11.45. Sit down. Let's stop this. Okay. Listen, everybody, welcome to Hilltop Church again, especially if you're here for the first time. We want to thank you for coming and worshiping Jesus with us. Please make this your home Make this your family. Come worship with us. Don't be a stranger. Uh, again, we're um, in the, doing a series called Revival. And today we're going to go back to the OT, yes, the Old Testament, and the book of Habakkuk. If you want to turn there, Habakkuk chapter 3. And essentially we're going to read a couple verses, kind of unpack it a bit, and then go from there. Amen? Amen. Habakkuk 3.2 says this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you. End your work. Come on, the Lord 
He has a good report. How many people have been checking into the uh, presidential debates, the Republican debates these days? I mean, come on. I mean, Democratic or not, you know, Republican, whatever. You've been checking it out. You know, these guys have a record. It always goes back to their record. You know, it's funny. Like, if something's introduced or something is asked, and it's like, well, I was the first one, you know, that in 1982 stopped, and they have a record. Well, the Lord has a record, too. He has... Uh, a report, if you would, all throughout biblical history. And so this is Habakkuk's recount of the Lord's work, the report of the Lord's work going on. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Some interesting facts about this particular chapter in Habakkuk. It's obviously a prayer. Um, It's a concluding uh, prayer that summarizes the deep lament and request of the prophet prophet, Habakkuk. Unlike other prophets who brought God's message to people, Habakkuk addresses God himself in the form of two questions to which God does respond. It's interesting, I never knew this until studying Habakkuk, that it's a psalm's. Imagine that. It's, it's, it's kind of written in the same way as a psalms would. Um, Habakkuk 3 is written in the form of a psalm in which the psalmist brings glory to God for his person. In verses 2 through 4. And his actions in verse 5 through 15. Habakkuk 3 verses 1 and 2 is essentially a request for God's continued active presence in the lives of Israel. It's a prayer accompanied by music. Sounds like J-Hop. It's prayer. Let me say that. It's prayer accompanied by music that culminates with a request, a prayer, a prayer request. The prophet Habakkuk looks at God's hand throughout history, specifically Israel's past. And through the exchange, Habakkuk is filled with a deep respect for the power of God. Habakkuk uses this knowledge of God's previous acts to request that they be repeated in Israel's presence. I don't know about you, but this, it, gets, it deeply encourages me, specifically when we boil down the life of Jehob. Now, many of you might not know what Jehob is. It's called the Justice House of Prayer, actually. The acronym is Jehob. Um, we started now, I think, seven and a half, eight years ago. Lou Engel, the man of which will be here in October with us, uh, actually uh, did a rally some time ago. I don't even know how long ago. Um, he did a rally called The Call. It came to New England. It's essentially a, a solemn assembly where 70,000 people, get, get this, uh, you know, it might have been awesome that 3,000 gathered just a couple weekends ago for Bethel, but can you imagine 11-something years ago, 70,000 people, church people, gathered in Government Square for a solemn assembly to pray to God, to repent, and ask God for them to come and heal their land. Anyways, from that event, can I get a little bit of more volume? We're a loud church. Just maybe turn the slide up. Somebody, please. I'm dying here. Uh, we're definitely not a soft church. We're, we're a loud church. Just need a little bit of push. Anyway, so the call came through about 11 years ago. 70,000 people gathered, and God spoke to Lou. I don't know if it was audibly, but he felt like God spoke to him and said, Lou, everywhere the call goes, I will establish a house of prayer. 
the aftermath of the call rallies, um, God birthed, if you would, he made, he created about 15 houses of prayer all throughout the nation. I don't know how many exist right now, but at the time, 15 houses of prayer were established in the aftermath of these large solemn assemblies. I'm going kind of quick, so please bear with me. And so Boston was the one that was planted, Jehob, Boston, after the call, Boston. And so for seven and a half years, we've been praying continually, much in the model and the attitude of Habakkuk 3. Uh, we've been praying uh, prayers accompanied by music. How many have come to Jehop at one stage of the game? How many come to, have come throughout, uh, you know, to a setter? I mean, is this not what we do? And this is the overall overarching theme of what we continually pray. Lord, revive us. Revive us. And essentially, what we get to do on a daily basis, because it happens, hear me this, every day, four hours a day, it happens. We gather together, we pray to music, and we are praying for God to revive. So we are not at all um, alienated, if you would. I don't know if that's the right way to use that word, but we are, this is nothing new. You know, like Ecclesiastes, where he says, there is nothing new under the sun. We have biblical, excuse me, we have a biblical example of here in Habakkuk, where actually we see the prophet jamming out with a group of whoever's, you know, jamming out with music, praying that the Lord would revive the years. Because they know the record They know the account, the work of God throughout their history. And so they may not necessarily see that right here at this given moment. Because if you study again the book, you know, I love that. I love this uh, this other fact of what we've been looking at through Psalms 85, Ezra chapter 9, and now Habakkuk chapter 3. All those times, all those times of prayer, oh Lord, won't you revive us again? You know, uh, and Habakkuk here, revive the years. They are all surrounded by dark and bleak times. I love that. That deeply encourages my heart. Uh, I don't, you know, for many reasons, and I don't want to get into them all now. I I love that God chooses to show himself the strongest where it doesn't make sense or it doesn't add up. And essentially, that's what we see here in the book of Habakkuk through the prophet, him gathering with his musician friends, praying that God will revive the years. Again, as Habakkuk recounts the former days of God's power, something is realized by the prophet. What Habakkuk comes to understand is both wrath, now listen to me, both wrath and mercy are part of the multifaceted nature of God. And both sometimes, most of the time, specifically to biblical times, work in tandem with each other. And ultimately, they culminate in attributing to God's awesome, majestic power. So, essentially what I'm saying is, usually the, the brightest of times run in tandem to the darkest of times. I don't know if you have turned on the news today. You don't even have to really turn on the news to be a prophet. You know, you don't, you, you don't have to, like, gain your information there. We're living into some serious dark times, aren't we? Listen, today I want us to be encouraged that no matter how dark the days get, God always has an ace up his sleeve. 
He always has a means. Why? Because he is so interested in showing himself strong. Come on, he, God is interested about his own glory. And one way that he gets to be glorified the most is saying, ha, 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 you thought you were at the end of the rope, but you're not. Look at this, suddenly I do. Come on, God is good. I love, because you know what? It attributes nothing to man. Nothing, nothing that we can do, nothing in our own strength can bring about uh, the majestic power of God. It's all his doing. And who gets the glory? God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at the end of your rope, so to speak? Maybe you're, whatever it is. You, you, I could, I, we all come from different backgrounds, experiencing hardship, blessings, all this stuff. But have you ever felt like you're at the end of your rope and then God does it suddenly? There's a reason God does that. That we would give him glory. I, I don't. That encourages my heart. You know, it's hard to stay there because usually when we're going through the suffering, usually when we're going through the hardship, man, ah, oh, you know, his praise isn't always on our lips. You know, it's not like you want praise. It, it's hard. It gets dirty, and sometimes we can't see the end. But God creates all that madness, all that chaos, for one reason: for His glory. For him to be glorified in our lives. And just happens to be now in our nation. We need God drastically, don't, don't we? We need God to revive these days. To revive these years. We need to look today in society and culture. And look into the history books of God. And say, God, you did it once. Please, God, we need you to do it again. How many of us have that resolve? Not for our own lives, just mainly, but the lives of others. The life of our nation, the life of our country, depends on men and women, much like Habakkuk, standing in that gap, God saying, revive these years. <laughs> and when you know the book... Oh, when you know the book like Habakkuk knew, isn't that what he said in the beginning? He says this, Oh Lord, I have heard your report. <laughs> I have nothing presently to stand upon, God. I have nothing currently to say, Whoa, what's going to happen here? But I have heard the report of God. I have heard the reports of your work. And it's in that I stand. And it's with that I make my intercession, my petition. Amen. I love it. Let's read real quick uh, the amplified version of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 2, uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, set to wild and enthusiastic music. <laughs> no, it's just, I, I, this just kind of like. I just got to get encouraged by this, you know, because being a musician and kind of being, you know, you're too loud, you're, you know, I understand there is a loud that's just like, oh, but, and, I, and I don't know if this is that kind of loud, but this just encourages me as a worship leader. Come on, are you a worship leader here today? Are you a loud worship leader today? Come on, raise your hand. This is going to encourage you. Uh, so it's a prayer by the prophet Habakkuk set to wild and enthusiastic music. Oh, Lord, I have heard your report about you, and I fear, oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of these years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, earnestly remember compassion and love. 
It's always important, excuse me, when darkness seems to creep in, when there seems to be loss of hope, to remember that in wrath, in that kind of bleak, you know, uh, outlook, uh, that we remember that God is mercy. God, he is merciful, excuse me. God errs on the side of mercy. (laughs) You know, he is a merciful, compassionate God. We should be very happy. Listen, you should be happy today that God is merciful. (laughs) Oh. The the word, excuse me, revive here in the Greek takes on similar characteristics and definitions as Psalms 85. If you weren't here with us the first Sunday that we preached, we actually used Psalms 85 as the foundation of that talk. Uh, And, 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 um, the tagline is actually, I mean, I'm not, the, the specific verse is actually on that, that printout there. It says, oh, Lord, how long until you revive us again? Um, but it takes on some of uh, the similarity, char- similar characteristics and definitions of Psalms 85. And it means to live, to have life, to continue in life, to remain alive, to sustain life, to live on or upon, to live prosper- pros- prosperously, excuse me, to revive to be quickened from sickness, discouragement, <laughs> from sickness and discouragement, faintness and from death. Come on, how many discouraged Christians do we have in this room tonight? I mean, if you are honest, how many? Dis- I'll, okay, I'll, I'll create my. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll go first. Come on, God wants to revive you. You know, we merely just try to survive as Christians, and God it wants us to thrive. He wants us to come to him and in coming to him, knowing that we can be filled with God's life, that we can be uh, filled and sustained and quickened where actually our discouragement becomes joyful or in the midst of discouragement, joy can be heard. Come on. Some of the most profound times that I've had in God are some of my deepest, darkest, discouraged times in my life. When I made that choice and that effort just to find joy and to give God thanks, seems like that cloud just seems to go away. Let's take a New Testament approach of where we're going to go here. Um, if you want to turn to John chapter 9, again, I'm moving kind of fast. I do want to get you out of here in a timely manner. John chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Here's Jesus. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Isn't that the first thing we ask like when somebody's suffering? <laughs> oh, what did this guy do? <laughs> you know, well, he's paying. You know, God's getting him. I know, you, you don't do that. This man are his parents. Who sinned? This man are his parents. Um, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm going to read that again. As he passed, he being Jesus, saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
We must work. Jesus goes on to say, we, we must work the works of him, him being God, who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's a, there's a lot of things pertaining to this specific subject that we're getting into today that just kind of open my eyes to a lot of things. Mainly how God works. Come on, if we don't, we don't know how God works, then we'll have nothing to pull on when we need God to work. Let me say that again. If we don't know how God works, we will have nothing to pull on when we need God to work. Interestingly, one just thing that I pull away from this is Jesus uses the words, we must work. The works of him who sent me only because Jesus would usually attribute every work, every word, every deed, every action as not being derived from his own will, right? But rather the will of the one who sent him. And here Jesus includes his disciples, his friends into that same work. You know, Jesus was usually, it's not my words, it's God putting his words in me and me speaking what God has given me. I don't take actions, you know, I don't do things just because I think it's the right thing to do or this needs to be done. No, God directs me, God leads me. And right here, right here in John chapter 9, Jesus, by using that word we and not me or I, he invites us, he invites his disciples into that narrative. We must work the works of him who sent Christ. Now, what was the work that was noted in John chapter 9? What was done? Well, the man's blindness was cured. So, of course, I'm not just trying to boil this down to, you know, healing people with blindness, but when Jesus meant work, it was in that specific field of work. Casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blind eyes. This is the work that Jesus talked about. Now, if you are on that specific kind of side that believes the works of God has ceased because we have the full canon of Scripture, well, we got to reconcile Jesus' words here a little bit. Because this wasn't just an invitation to his disciples. This was an invitation to all those who would follow him. Yeah. Jesus proceeded, right, to spit on the ground, make some anointed mud with his saliva. And it, 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 disgusting. Place it in the guy's eyes. And he was healed. It says this in John 9, 6. Uh, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and they opened. Another interesting thing that sticks out to me in John chapter 9 is in regards to the continued works, I'm sorry, in regards to the continued works of Jesus through the life of his followers, is the word he says next. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Who else did Jesus say is the light of the world? Who else did Christ say 
is the light of the world, us. So, is the light of the world still in the world? If the light of the world is in us, and we are to be the light of the world, if Christ is in us, the light of the world, He calls us to be the light of the world, is the light of the world still in the world? I saw this awesome quick uh, little thing on, I was actually going to have it today, but uh, Jeremy Riddle, how many know who Jeremy Riddle is? Well, he's getting into speaking more at his church, and man, it's just really good, but he talks about the light of God, and he talks about that specific passage, I believe, in Matthew 5, where Jesus calls us to be the light of the world. He says, you know, you take a group of people, and you put them in a dark room, right? A dark room, you can't see anybody in front of you, just darkness, and somebody lights a match. What does everybody do? Or they look at it, right? Every eye turns. You know, immediately. It's like, oh, dark room, light. Boop. And he goes on to say that's exactly how the church or what the church is meant to do in the earth. We are to be that light in the midst of great darkness. That when it shines, every eye. Right on it. Focus it. There it is. We are the light of the world. Christ is still in the world, although he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm not trying to get weird here, but he's also in us, right? He's the hope of glory. Dwelling within us, he is the light. Christ is still the light of the world. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, 14, Jesus says to his disciples that they are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop, little plug, hilltop, that cannot be hidden. Exactly what Jeremy Riddle was saying. Light can't be hidden, especially in darkness. We're looking through a theme here. I don't know if you've noticed the theme. We're looking at God's history. We're looking at the hand of God throughout history, and we're seeing the way he works. And we're seeing that usually in vast, dark times, throughout history, God has made it his... uh, uh, interest to shine a very big light, a very big light in those dark times. What happens when that light goes off in the dark room? Every eye turns. Man, we need that in the church today. Listen, we are the light of the world, guys. And we must continue the works of God. And we have a great model. Christ himself. Jesus is the light of the world and he is still in the world because he lives in us. The light of the world continues to give light to the world through his people. Another verse. And, and, and again, too, in John chapter 9, we saw a very uh, a kind of, you know, hopeless situation with a man that was blind from birth. Who knows how many years, you know, this man was blind. It's, a, it's a, probably a very hard situation for him. He's even got, you know, people accusing him of sinning. You know, and of course, I'm sure, you know, just like much started to spread throughout Jerusalem and Israel and all that, I'm sure word gets around, oh, that's just the sinner over there, you know, I can't see, hasn't been able to see from birth. But yet, God uses all that, which is ultimately demonized by man as just being uh, attributed to his own sin. But God uses the, all of that crisis Imagine being that guy. Imagine Jesus saying, hey, you know, I know you've been blind since birth, but guess what? You know, you're going you're gonna to see today, but all this time had just passed, and we're going to open your eyes. 
just so that God could be glorified. How would you feel? It's like, man, how, could this not happen sooner? You know, could you not have, maybe, you know, come, yeah, it would have been, you know. You get what I'm saying. But again, you see that whole kind of, you know, kind of dire situation. Man's blind, since birth, can't see. Jesus walks on the stage, opens his eyes. Why? So God could be glorified. But when Jesus heard, this is a John, you can turn to John, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 4. Is everybody all right? John 11, uh, verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is Lazarus, right? Everybody, Jesus, if you would have shown it up earlier, you know, if you would have just been here sooner, maybe Lazarus would have been living. What's wrong with you? I mean, duh, He is the Son of God. I mean, you know, hello. But Jesus attributes his illness as one that does not lead to death, but even more, one that will be used to glorify God. You got got Lazarus, stricken with leprosy. God uses it for one sole purpose, defined by God, the Son of Man, to say, through Lazarus' pain, through his suffering, I am going to glorify God. And in by glorifying God, I will also be glorified. So surrounding both John chapter 9, John chapter 11, and much of the gospel, by the way, we see many similarities. The disciples seem to think that the man's blindness was the result of his sin or the sin of his parents. In John chapter 11, Jesus uh, reassures that Lazarus' illness won't end in death. Both were given in order to display God's mighty works, that through them he would be glorified. Revive us, God. You see, all this is to attribute one thing, is to attribute glory to the name of God. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, we're, we're trucking through, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude it here. Just give me a couple more minutes, okay? I said 11.45, I lied, okay? Um, 12.50, I mean 11.50, uh, maybe? Is everybody all right? Is everybody getting it? Is everybody okay? I know. Is everybody all right? Some of you, not so much. Okay. We're praying. We're praying. We're praying. Or I'm praying for myself so that you can. So Jesus with confidence says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Why? Why? It's not for your glory, not for my glory, not for the glory of some ministry or minister. It's for the glory of God. John chapter 15, and you don't have to turn there, but just kind of trucking through a couple passages to get a good scope of how Jesus, how God works. John chapter 15, um, 7 and 8, it says this, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. Imagine that. And it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Let's focus just one more time uh, again on the closing remarks that, Je- uh, that Jesus made in John chapter 9. Uh, 
let me just make sure I have myself in my notes here. Sorry, guys. Okay, yeah. So John chapter 14, excuse me, 13. Let's look at the concluding remarks. That, my, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What needs to be understood is the context of John 14, 13. Jesus is explaining to his friends that he is leaving, okay? Right there, Jesus in John chapter 14 is saying, listen, guys, I'm going away. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Don't worry about it. My father has mansions all over the place. I mean, cribs, MTV cribs that got nothing on them. I don't even know if that still goes on. But I'm going to go. I'm leaving. Don't be dismayed. Don't be let down. I'm going. Okay, so in context to that, Jesus summarizes in 13 of John chapter 14, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that my father may be glorified. So with that being said, in light of Jesus' going, him leaving, not staying, do we think that Jesus is all done in glorifying the, uh, glorifying the Father? Okay, let me frame it a little bit different. In context, John chapter 14 is all about Jesus leaving. He says some pretty stunning words to his friends. He said, listen, whatever you ask in my name, it will be granted that my Father may be glorified. Do we think that the son is all done because he's the resurrected Christ, that he's all done with glorifying the father? Absolutely not. So how much more is that applicable to us? If God gains or gets glory out of Jesus answering the request of his people, What would make us think in any way, any shape, any form of him being done? Is it sensationism? Is that what it is? Sensationist? Is actually the belief that God no longer works in powerful, profound ways. Most most, um, sensationists would deem us as uh, uh, hypocrites, as... uh, Um, uh, demons even. Uh, But in light of Christ's interest in continuing to glorify God, resurrected Christ, and if the means is of God getting glorified, if the means is He responds and gives His people that which they ask for, why do we believe that God's all done working in powerful ways uh, just because uh, of sensationism, of the full canon of Scripture being given, no, mo- no longer any need for, for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation or for God to move in profound and, and wondrous ways. It's not, friend. It's not, friend. Because Jesus is still very interested in glorifying God through the lives of his believers. I did a good job with that, Jesus. Essentially, Jesus' role has not changed just because he is at the right hand of God. Even more so, does Jesus have an interest 
and bringing glory to God through the works of his people. And it all revolves around asking. It all revolves around conversation and dialogue with God. Dialogue with God. Our prayer rooms should be busting at the seams in our nation. You, you gotta, you. If we, if you had the opportunity to ask God for anything, man, you should throw yourself in the way of prayer. You should throw your way at making requests, but make sure you don't ask amiss. Make sure you're not asking with your own interest involved and entwined. God has no interest in glorifying you. He has an interest in glorifying himself. And if those requests are in line to him getting the glory, (laughs) hear me, if those requests, if those prayers are in line to him getting glory, You get yourself a winner every time. If those prayers are mixed up with your own interest and your own selfishness and your own uh, uh, carnal desires, guess what? It's not, prayer's not the problem, friend. It's our heart. God knows our heart. It's not, he's not done answering. He answers all the time, but it's in accordance to his will and not yours. So Jesus plays a role even today in the life of the church to bring glory to his father through the acts of the church, through giving the church what it is they need, what it is they're asking for. What are you asking for today? Are you asking for anything? God wants to revive us. You know, it's not just enough that we go through the emotions of church. You know, maybe if the music's good, we might lift our hands. Guys, we serve an extraordinary God who's not dead. He's not off, you know, doing something else. He's very involved. He's very involved and he's very interested into what takes place in a day like this, what takes place in the everyday of your life. And if we know that we have a chance to make requests bring prayer before the Lord that he would answer us and give us that which we're asking for, man, our prayer life should be the most vibrant, life-giving thing in our lives that we have to rely upon. Let's pray. Father, we ask God for just a supernatural grace to rest upon our community. Lord, we... We ask God for a deepened desire to be revived, Lord, not just individually, but corporately, Lord, Hilltop Church. We ask God that your spirit uh, would be poured out, Father, that much like we saw, Lord, as an example in Habakkuk, Lord, of men gathering and just asking God to revive the years, Lord, let that be our posture. Lord, that in these dark times, we would lean upon your hand, your, the way that you've moved throughout biblical history. Lord, let us read the recounts, not in some kind of distant uh, imagination, Lord, where we think you could never do something like that again. Lord, let us read those accounts with faith, believing that you can do those again 
and you want to do those again. Father, we need to be revived. We want to be revived. And so, Lord, we ask, God, our church, our families, our households, our children, God, students, Father, we just ask, Lord, that that sweet spirit of God would be poured out over our community and revive our hearts, Lord, that we would live sustained, that we would live, Lord, in a continued state of being revived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, guys, we're going to conclude there. It's almost lunch. Um, Forgive us for our announcements. Oh, Lord, we got to do something. But I really do feel like after October, it will be back in play. Um, Listen, don't forget to um, go to the info table if you have any questions, uh, anything that you want to get more uh, information about in our ministry, small group information, prayer set information, uh, 110 registrations. Listen, don't leave here today without registering for 110, especially if you're a member. Listen, you have to pay nothing if you're a member, okay? You get a code, they register you right there. You can be here for Sunday. That's for Sunday, okay? You do have to pay for Saturday and Sunday. It's so small. It's going to be worth every penny that you invest. Measly $15. Listen, you're going to be blessed by this event. Promise you that, okay? We love you guys. Be blessed and have a great day.